Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater. We are going to talk today about caregiving and specifically caregiving in the military and the veteran space. It's such an important topic. People are not aware that there are programs and things that can support veterans. And we're going to be talking today with some amazing experts who are making some eye-opening and swift changes to a program that is in a large bureaucracy. As we like to say, you know, a ship takes a large uh, path to turn, but we've seen some amazing progress. And we want to talk today about progress, not perfection, but progress in the National Caregiver Program. So our guest today is the National Director of the program, Dr. Colleen Richardson, and the Deputy Director, Mr. Tim Tobin, and welcome to our program. Good afternoon, Thanks. Linda. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's afternoon where you are. Okay, it's morning where I am. <laughs> but at any rate, it's a pleasure to have you both. I am finding that caregiving, while always a daunting task, was made more difficult in the last three years with COVID. And you all both came on. Um, Dr. Richardson, 16 months ago for you and for Mr. Tobin, 13 months ago, right in the midst of the pandemic and its aftermath and the shift to telehealth and how to do visits and how to really keep things going. That is a very interesting combo, caregiving and pandemic, which made the task more challenging. Can you share, let's start with Colleen, how you hit the ground running to determine the priorities and the needs. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Linda. Um, to say that COVID was had a huge impact across the country would be an understatement. I mean, caregiving in general is already in and of itself a, a, a beyond a full-time job. And then you add a pandemic on top of it really, really made things really even more challenging but i think you know some of the things that we did in, in the early stages was kind of just to establish what what the needs were mm -hmm. um, and it had its advantages and disadvantages you know we were able to do a lot of work uh, via telehealth which was great especially for our rural communities i mean if you think about a, one of our communities in alaska <laughs> some of our some of our veterans and caregivers are four and five hours away. So allowing us to do some of this work over telehealth was a huge advantage to getting people in sooner um, and allowing us to process applications a, a lot faster. But, um, you know, and then we handed out lots of personal protective equipment for our caregivers and veterans. Mm -hmm. We were able to get caregivers the COVID-19 vaccine, which I think was huge um, for our caregivers across the country, especially those taking care of very, very vulnerable veterans in the midst of a pandemic. So it, it had its advantages and disadvantages for sure. But it really did come, the combination was, was super interesting because I think that it did make it more challenging, but you did hit the ground running. And I apologize, I should have asked you, may I use your first names? It's my custom to do that on the show. <laughs> 
Of course. Thank of course. you. Tim, talk to me about when you came on as deputy director, um, Colleen already had three months on you. And I imagine you were thrown into the deep end of the pool also. Yeah, you know, Colleen had already established a really great vision for the program at that point. So was able to, to really partner with her um, and, and help kind of carry out that vision, and get that started early on. But one of the things that I found unique as, as we kind of worked through the pandemic was um, as we went around and talked with our caregivers, and I think, you know, many times you'll find people that would have been um, adverse to uh, virtual care. We found out mm -hmm. that was actually really convenient for them. And many of them really like that just due to their duties with caregiving, especially some of our caregivers that had, um, you know, maybe young children at home. So mm -hmm. it was almost like an added benefit or, uh, or an unexpected positive byproduct of, uh, of the pandemic was that, um, this virtual care really does work well for the caregiver population. So we still see a lot of them really wanting to engage um, with our with our program in that way. Well, I think it was great because it allowed expansion into that kind of uh, removing the travel aspects, removing putting the whole family in the car. And, and some of them are distant, as you had mentioned. So you went out and really learned directly from caregivers and VSOs and those are in supportive roles, what the needs were and the priorities. And so those listening sessions that were conducted, it really helped you identify the priorities. And once you knew those, you really could grasp what was going on and take it in a direction that you found to be the most impactful. What were some of the main things that you identified in those listening sessions. And I, I know they're lengthy sometimes to listen to people's stories, but you learn a lot, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I think Tim and I, our philosophy is, you know, we started out as staff clinicians in, in the VA, right? So uh, as taking care of veterans um, at the local medical facilities. And you know, as we've kind of come into these leadership roles, you know, our philosophy has always been we don't ever want to be so far removed from what the true mission of what we're trying to do is, and that's take care of caregivers and take care of veterans. And so in order to, to stay connected to that mission, we have to know who we're serving and we have to put that at the forefront of, of everything that we're doing. And, and, and in and of itself, that's just good. Fundamentally, this is the right thing to do. And fundamentally, mm -hmm. it's what's in the best interest of caregivers and veterans. If we're not hearing directly from those who serve them, and we're not hearing directly from them and those who advocate on their behalf, there's no way to ever meet that mission. So, you know, throughout these listening sessions that we've held, and even prior to this, like each year when we come in to a new fiscal year, we set mm -hmm. a theme. We set, here is the focus, right? Because when you're thinking about a strategic mission of this program, which has been in existence now for 11 and a half years, you don't want to focus on just tomorrow. You want to focus on six months, a year, and then in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things, what do we want this to be five years from now? And then we set forward that mission every year. So that way in five years, we've met that goal and there will be, mm -hmm. you know, small goals along the way. So even prior to the listening sessions with the caregivers, we had spent a lot of times with, or excuse me, a lot of time with the VSOs, MSOs, and other external uh, stakeholders. And they kept saying, you know, hey, there's still a lot of issues around standardization and consistency. And, you know, Tim and I are both veterans and um, we get healthcare at VA and I don't want to walk into one VA 
and get one decision and walk into another VA and get something completely different. Like that's just not good care overall, <laughs> nor do we want, yeah, nor do we want that in our program. We don't want you to walk into this particular facility and get one answer and then walk into another and get a completely different answer or decision in our program. So our main focus when we first came on a couple months into taking over this program was how do we become more standardized? How do we more become more consistent, not only in decision-making, but administration of the program as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then how do we like get folks to look at the, the, the veterans and the caregivers as humans, as people with stories and not just a piece of paper, not just an application. So that's something that we really started working on last fiscal year. Fast forward, we begin these, oh, go ahead. Do you want to? No, I was just going to say that all the caregivers that I have spoken with are very aware of being heard and they're really grateful for being heard because I think, I think as human beings, we'd like to be heard, especially after a period of time where we were isolated. And we also know that we went through the pandemic and all of these processes that were going on in different ways. It was not, Mm -hmm. it was the same pandemic, but it was not the same experience for everyone. And so one of the things that was super interesting to learn is that we are now focusing on mental health care for caregivers Mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. When we, when we started these caregiving listening sessions with these caregivers, we heard a couple things. And number one was, gosh, you know, I'm so busy taking care of everybody else. Mm. we realized they've really kind of forgotten to take care of themselves along the way. And it's so second nature for these caregivers to just put everybody else first but themselves. Mm-hmm. And so as we're listening, we, we, you know, Tim and I both being mental health professionals said, oh my gosh, there's such a need here for them, for us to take care of them more than what we do now, right? Besides training and education and all of those wonderful things that we do, we need to take care of their mental health. They're mm-hmm. exhausted. They're stressed out. So um, I'm going to let Tim talk a little bit about how we're partnering with mental health and what we're going to offer as far as mental health resources, because he's really taken the lead on this and has done a tremendous job. And that's one one piece of it. So, Tim, if you want to touch on that a little bit, and then I want to like share what we're doing with respite and then what we're doing as far as the overall experience that we're trying to improve, too. Perfect. Yeah, no, that that that's great. Dr. Richardson, you already said it really well, but kind of tying back to what we said about the pandemic, we found out that virtual care worked well. And so um, we really wanted to maximize that and create these virtual hubs for caregivers to get this mental health care. And so, you know, really the mission of the caregiver support program and our belief is that if caregivers um, are, ta- are, are, are taken care of and they, they've got the support and services they need, then we can build upon that and then they, they can really serve their, their veterans that they're there for. So essentially, and this will roll out in phases, we'll have um, virtual hubs in each one of our VISNs, which is a uh, VISN uh-huh. stands for Veterans Integrated Service Network that really kind of oversees different parts of the country. Um, but we will have psychotherapists that specifically specialize in caring for caregivers. And I think one of the things that makes the VA unique, um, specifically in mental health, is they're really experts in PTSD care. And so our goal with these hubs is that we can really become experts in um care for for caregivers as a whole and then caregive military caregivers so once again those are going to be opening up over the next uh really over the next fiscal year so that's 
October to September. Um, and we hope to have the first one live in, in quarter two, which is, uh, you know, in the March time period. So once again, that, that may sound like a little ways out, um, but uh, it's pretty quick in, in VA in, in some of the, the VA land. And then um, in the meantime, veterans and caregivers can still work at their local facilities to get uh, to get mental health care there. I know that they're very grateful for that. I also love how when you were looking at the priorities and you were finding out what is difficult for a caregiver, you really all put yourselves in the shoes of the caregiver and listen to their experiences. I'm going to mention specifically the wellness checks because I think it's no secret that we have all been through some difficult things and there's some frustrations and a lengthy wellness check uh, was very difficult for many caregivers and veterans. And so one of the new changes that has taken place that has been very positively received are concise wellness checks. Speak a little bit about how that decision was made and, and what was implemented. Colleen, why don't yeah. you take that? Yeah, absolutely. So not only do we do listening sessions with the caregivers, mm -hmm. we do listening sessions with our staff across the country because they, you know, it's it's like boots on the ground, right? You, mm -hmm. uh, officers, we should, executive directors, whomever should not sit back here and, and direct traffic without knowing what is really truly going on at the boots on the ground level. And so we talked to the staff and they are the ones who also brought to our attention did you know that these things are extremely long and they're arduous and this is really not in the best interest of caregivers? Uh, and this was through one of our listening sessions and mm -hmm. we said, well, tell us more. And so they sh shared with us more and we said, well, what would you do? How would you do this? And they explained to us exactly how we would do it. So that's exactly what we did. We listened to our staff. We listened to the caregivers who gave them the information and we chopped these things way more than in half. And now, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think we went from like a 12 page interview to like a three, a two page check-in, right? Is exactly what it's supposed to be, right? A wellness contact is us being the caregiver support program through and through. And that is contacting these caregivers and veterans to say, how are you doing? How are things going? What do you need from us? And how can we, and I'll underline in bold, support you as the caregiver. And, and that's what these have turned into and not a fear of people wondering if we're reevaluating them during these wellness contacts and, oh my gosh, could they lose their eligibility? It's turned into exactly what it's always meant to be. And that is a true check-in to check on the wellness of the caregiver and the veteran. And I love that. I love that as well. And I think you made a very important point. You're adding the support feature and prioritizing it in the caregiver support program. And you're also integrating the team. So by dealing with the staff, and with the caregivers and the veterans, you're creating a team that works together for the betterment yes. of the entire situation, which is very, very positive. I think one thing that you took care of right away that was extremely well received uh, was the uh, travel portal. Tim, do you wanna take that one? Yeah, no, so, so we partnered closely with um, I think it was VEO that that um, took that that partnership up or that flag up and really worked to reformat the the port the travel portal to make things easier for mm -hmm. our veterans and caregivers. So um, once again, that is just such an important piece. It's it's important for caregivers to be able to come to appointments with 
with their veterans mm-hmm. without much hassle. And so um, I think that combined with the, the return to vir- or the, the turn to virtual care really made a big difference for um, veterans and caregivers. And once again, we, we hope to continue to get feedback on that and make sure that some of these decisions are um, taking things in the right direction. Oh, I think they absolutely are from everything that I keep hearing out in the field. I think also what is really well received has been not only are your listening sessions having people feeling heard, which we all wish to be heard in life, but they are also seeing changes that are positive. In other words, their words and their stories made a difference in the policies that you undertook to to get things done quickly. Because again, this is a very large ship to turn. And as you said, in VA land, it may take longer than we wish. But I think just knowing that the progress is taking place has really uplifted some spirits and rebuilt some trust that was lost perhaps on sides of both staff and caregivers. Because again, we've all been very stressed over the last three years and frustrations come out in that regard. So the transparency of what you've been doing, the communication has picked up and is routine and is logical and is accessible. And your VA caregiver site at caregiver.va.gov, if those of you want to follow along right now, has been vastly updated with really practical, pertinent, cogent information. You have, you have done it in a thorough way is what I'm saying. It wasn't just words, it wasn't just documents, it was also back up on the website, it was resourced, and you made it accessible. Yeah. You know, Linda, we we have a fantastic team, like mm-hmm. uh, hands down a fantastic team uh, in, in the program office here in Vaco across the country. We have staff that they work so hard, you know, and, and I get that not everybody's experience is 100% positive all the time. And, and that's something that we're, we're working to improve. But I think, you know, as, as, as we're leading a, like you said, a ship, right? I'm a sailor, so I love the boat. And it is a ginormous ship. Right. We can't go through rudderless, right? So Uh -uh. from a leadership perspective, you know, Tim and I, we don't want people to, to, to comply with what we say. We want them to think about it. We want them to take responsibility. We want them to own what we own in this program office. And the more you continue to connect people with what the mission is and bring those things to the forefront, and then you back it all up with all the resources and offer that, again, bold, underlined, and highlighted word support, mm-hmm. it, it makes that so much easier. And, and it's so, I mean, we can just see this amazing cultural shift in our program office about the way we think about things and the way we, we see these veterans and caregivers. And I, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me to watch this change occur and people share their stories and even our staff are like, we love all the changes that we're making. We're on mm-hmm. board with this. We, they love the support they get. Um, it's awesome. It, it's just truly a really neat perspective. Um, and, and it's an honor to, for us to be able to lead something so amazing um, with this team. So I think the culture shift was really critical. Uh, we people were just coming out of a very difficult period. A lot of changes had taken place during that period. And to suddenly have uh, such open transparency and communication, two-way communication is always the best. Mm-hmm. And 
now it is two-way and it really feels much better. The, I'm watching what's happening on the Facebook groups and uh, the social media, and it is very positive in terms of, okay, thank you for that information. Now, what about this? Good. And so what we usually tell them is that, because um, I work with caregivers still, is that you know we're working on progress, not perfection, and this mm -hmm. is an ever-evolving um, landscape. Because mm -hmm. you had a big deadline facing you with October 1st and the full expansion to all eras, and so you had a huge deadline. You had um, things you had to take care of quickly, and you did. Are you still amazed that all that was able to happen? <laughs> I. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, my head still spins. <laughs> I thought after, after being in the program now for the last 20 months or so that my head would stop spinning from all the things that keep coming our way. Um, I, I'm not surprised, but I'm pleasantly surprised if that makes any sense because we, we ask our staff for things or to do stuff or we try to give them as much advance notice as humanly possible. Hey, this is coming. We know it's coming. What do you need? And they'll tell us, we need staff, we need this, we need that. And that's what we work hard to make happen for them. And when we back them up with their asks, they do the most amazing things I've ever imagined. I mean, we were so ready for phase two expansion. People were excited, they were pumped, they were so happy to be opening this program up to an entirely new generation of veterans coming in. And I, I love their excitement. I mean, that made me, and I know that made Tim, we had people who dedicated their Saturdays and Sundays to process applications in real time mm -hmm. to reach out to veterans on the day that they applied and make phone calls and set them up for assessments. I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. That it is. I mean, we had over 400 staff go, I'll, I'll help, I'll help, I'll, I'll, I'll work. And they did. And we had applications going to the seat in the first weekend for decisions. I mean, that's amazing to me. Well, but I think, and Tim, you can address this as well. A team especially when you're building it and it's getting such buy-in, starts to gain a momentum and it starts to move in the way that you're looking to do it. So, I mean, cultural shift is not easy to move in the right direction, but I think that you've seen, the more you ask of people, of the staff and share the stories and they know the stories too, you're getting greater buy-in and then others are jumping on board. So it it's becoming much more cumulative. Am I right? Yeah, no, Linda, this is Tim again. And once again, you you are right on that. And one of the things that I that I found was really interesting is um, you know, really with with Dr. Richardson's leadership or with Colleen's leadership, uh, as she as we went into phase two expansion, I mean that could have been enough right there to say, hey, we're just gonna really focus on phase two expansion. But she really pushed our team to say, hey, we do have to have a successful phase two expansion, but we need to start plunging ahead with getting all of these different initiatives set up um, to support our veterans and caregivers in addition to that. And so I think that's what we're feeling like, you know, the entire team, I think, really throughout the country is feeling this momentum that not only did we have a really successful phase two expansion, went very smoothly on October one and two, it continues to go really smoothly. We have all these other plans in place that are really what our veterans and caregivers want. And also 
what are, makes our staff's job easier to care for our veterans and caregivers. So that goes back to the wellness contacts. Mm -hmm. um, that goes back to other changes that we've made in just regards to overall process. We started communicating our decisions differently now. So veterans and caregivers get good information about yes. why or why not they didn't qualify for the program. Mm -hmm. That transparency is huge. And we've been able to do that and you know, really have this successful phase two expansion. So um, it's been exciting to be part of that. And I think you can feel that throughout the entire program. Um, and, and we also feel that when we talk to veterans and caregivers. Oh, I would agree entirely. Uh, let's shift a little bit and talk about one of the changes that has really helped you to bring in more uh, of the caregivers and veterans who should be included in the program. And I'm talking specifically about the supervision, protection, and instruction language, the SPI language, reverting back to legislative. Talk a little bit about that and what difference it has made in acceptance rates to the program. Yeah, absolutely. So on March 25th, VA lost a court case to veteran warriors, specifically around uh, supervision, protection and instruction in which the court set aside the definition of SPI or supervision, protection and instruction. Mm -hmm. And it allowed us to revert back to, like you mentioned, the legislative or statutory um, language around SPI. And we have seen, you know, prior to that, we, we were well, let me just back up for a second. So if you just think about the, the, the generation of veterans that we serve, their need, their caregiving needs are so unique and they're all so different, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at our pre-1975 generation of veterans, our Korean War veterans, our World War II, our Vietnam veterans, they have very different caregiving needs mm -hmm. than the other generations of veterans. So you're looking at a lot of severe neurological conditions. You're looking at mental health conditions. You're looking at you know, ALS, MS, et cetera. Fast forward to your post 9-11 veterans, we're looking at a lot of traumatic brain injuries. We're looking at a lot of issues surrounding IADLs. And, and of course that's applicable to all generations as well. But, and you're looking at mental health issues. Their caregiving needs are so different. And up until then, you know, even our staff, were, were, we were struggling under what we had in regs to get folks in under supervision, mm -hmm. protection, instruction that we felt like met the intent of the program. And so reverting back to the statutory definition or language around it really allowed us to get those folks that I just described into the program more often than we mm -hmm. were previously. So we saw rates, and Tim, please correct me if I'm wrong, because Tim's my data guy, but we saw <laughs> rates, <laughs> he, he's in the weeds about all the things, and we, we have our roles, and that's not one of mine. He loves that stuff. But, you know, we see we saw rates jump anywhere from 10 to 20% in terms of approvals around supervision, protection, and instruction. And our staff, we kept hearing from our staff, like, this has been great. This has been wonderful for us. We, we're, we're capturing those veterans that we weren't able to capture mm. before. And I think that was such a relief for them because like I said, our staff genuinely care about these caregivers and veterans and they weren't able to get them into the program prior to that. And now we're starting to see those rates jump. So Tim, did I get that right? I know you get nervous I when I start no, this, this is a this is a proud moment for me right now, Doctor. You 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 nailed it. You nailed it. That was that was right. Like Colleen, stop talking. No, <laughs> you got it. You got it on this time. And you know, it's funny as we've gone out and we've talked with our staff and have done the listening sessions. Initially, before this change, we were hearing from them like 
you know, it's difficult to get um, certain veterans and, and, and caregivers in the program that we think need this program. Okay. And so now that we've since the SPI definition, we just did a listening session um, yesterday, actually, with mm -hmm. some staff members, and they said, listen, we feel like now we're able to capture um, that population that needs to be in the program in totality. So um, it's been a great change for us, and uh, we continue to work towards maximizing that and refining things as we move forward. But I think it's interesting how there was a real push to going back to the intent of the program yeah. so that it would be inclusive of those who really did need a caregiver. And I think that those, the definitional change, I mean, it has made enormous differences in the correspondence. And again, back in the caregiver groups on Facebook, which is where all the action is, by the way. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's, that's where all the action is. And so you really are making a difference with that. I can tell you that up front. So the intent of the program is being met. And that helps, again, to build the stability and the foundation of knowing that this is a program that can be counted on and not going to be ripped out from underneath you. Now, there still are compliance. You have to comply. All programs have you know, regulations that mean you need to comply with things. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And they're very reasonable compliance things, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I think here's the thing about clinical programs, right? And, and like we said, there are so many unique caregiving needs. I think mm -hmm. VA has historically done a really great job on veterans, right? Like healthcare needs. But this program is unique in the sense that we're trying to be experts in the caregiving needs of multiple generations of veterans, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we were so excited to launch two years ago, prior to Tim and I coming on board, to our World War II, Vietnam, and Korean veterans who have waited so long mm -hmm. to get into mm -hmm. this program. I mean, and what an awesome honor it is for us to bring these men and women into the program. I mean, we have some pretty historically remarkable uh, men and women in this program, which is awesome for us. But, you know, in the grand scheme, I mean, healthcare is fluid and flexible, and that's how we have to think about mm -hmm. caregiving needs too, right? We just expanded again to our Cold War era veterans and our Persian Gulf War veterans. And, and I guarantee you, they're going to have unique caregiving needs. They do. Right. And so we need to be able to think about all the things, if you will, to make it applicable to multiple generations that we're still learning about their caregiving needs. And, and that's a really big thing to undertake. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why connecting with these caregivers and listening to them and understanding what those needs are help us set forth a criteria or eligibility or whatever you want to call it to make this program the best that it can be. And, and again, we really want to focus this year, not on just getting all those things right, but supporting these caregivers who have needed us for a very long time. And now we're going to be able to support them at an even higher level through PCAFC. And, and Linda, you know, we have PGCSS, which is available to anybody uh -huh. who identifies as a caregiver. But I mean, how cool to get in these Vietnam veterans and World War II veterans and Korean veterans. Well, no, it's fantastic. And uh, Tim, as you go forward, perhaps you could speak a little bit to the fact, one of the questions we constantly receive is about, well, why didn't you change the law? Why did you change the rule? Because I think people see words like rules, regulations, 
laws, legislative, and it can be very confusing. Nobody ever said DC was very simple to understand. And so rule changes are different from legislative changes, which I don't believe that the authority comes, that comes through Congress. Yeah, that's correct. So for, for, um, you know, statute changes that come, that does come from Congress. And so Mm -hmm. a couple of things we wanted to figure out as many things possible that we could do because rulemaking takes, takes time. That Mm -hmm. that's a, that's an arduous process. So we wanted to figure out as many things as we could do um, immediately without that. So that's where you're starting to see some of these changes come into place that we've already talked about. And I won't, Mm -hmm. I won't go over again to improve, but on top of that, um, as we've seen, I mean, the, I don't think the law was the issue as we reverted back to statute just for mm-hmm. SPI, which is essentially reverting back to the, um, which is essentially reverting back to the law. We've seen us, um, have more flexibility in getting the right veterans and caregivers into the program. So right now it's really, um, working about ma- it's, a, it's about working around maximizing what we, um, what we currently have and then continuing to pr- improve on some of those VA regulations. And, uh, we're working on that right now as we, as we look at those. Well, I think you're also smoothing out the processes and the clarity that comes when you, when it's very clear on what makes you eligible, what does not, uh, what would have to change, uh, how do you qualify for something if they tell you this, but the situation has changed. So the clarity of communication and the clarity of eligibility is really critical to making this move forward for those different unique needs of each era, because they are different. No, that's exactly right. And it's so important. Um, and, and Dr. Richardson does a great job on this. When she meets with our staff, she really drives the point home that, and she mentioned this earlier in the podcast, that there is a person behind all of these applications. There is mm-hmm. a veteran and caregiver that needs this service be- behind all these applications. So I think in terms of like some of the um, more lengthy changes that we talked about with regulation, that's one thing. But um, in addition to that, we're kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, attacking this from all angles. So let's work on process. Let's work on experience. Let's work on, um, you know, some of our different templates that we have, fixing the well wellness context, but just really coming at this from all angles mm-hmm. um, as we move this program forward. No question. It's it's progress and it is really showing. And I think that that is what makes the receptivity uh, at all levels. I hope there's receptivity at all levels. I'm hearing it on the ground and you're hearing it from staff. And I think that that really does make a positive difference. What we're doing in the cultural shift is really becoming positive where people weren't always reframing things to be positive. And I think that that is so vitally important because how you talk, words you choose, all make a difference. Let's talk a little bit about the full expansion. That was a, a, a big milestone. So when that opened up, you said 400 people came to work on Saturday and Sunday to process applications in real time. That used to take a very long time. So that's a marked difference. Yeah, I mean, so 100%. And Linda, I want to come back to something you just said. You talked about the cultural shift, and I think this is part of it, right? Okay. You could change eligibility until it's quote unquote perfect, 100% right. accurate, right? You could do that, maybe. You could. Potentially. But if you never shift the culture, if you never get people to think differently about how we do things, it doesn't matter how perfect that eligibility 
is, right? Spot on. You could go in and have the most fabulous doctor in the entire world, but if his or her bedside manner is garbage, nobody wants to see you anyways, no matter how great you are. <laughs> they want somebody who, in, who gives them the experience that they want, right? It is all right. about going into an appointment and that doc making five-minute eye contact and saying, Colleen, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. What can I do for you? And hey, by the way, I am going to need 20 minutes of your time. I'm going to have to ask you a series of questions. And I know not all of them are pleasant, but I did want to spend the first two minutes just, are you doing okay? How, how are things going for you? Like making that connection, building that rapport. And that's what we want to do. We can make eligibility perfect all day long, but if we don't improve the overall experience of the caregiver and veteran, and it's not to say that it's awful because it's not, but we want to go from good to exceptional are good to great and great to exceptional. You know, what, Tim, what's our walk? No, crawl, walk, run. Sorry, I always get that. Right, um, that is it. So that's part of it. And and yeah, so so if you think about that, this is what we were saying earlier, like, I love that we're seeing this cultural shift where people mm-hmm. are like, hey, we've got the support of, of Colleen and Tim in the front office to like get to where we need to be, to get to yes, to err on the side of these caregivers and veterans to support them in every way possible. So you're right. It wasn't even our idea to have staff the weekend that expansion opened. We had people reach out to us and say, you know what? Could we get some overtime money? We want to have staff working the weekend. And we said, absolutely. They volunteered to say, hey, we have staff that want to do this. Would you support us? I mean, this was what, Tim, back in July, we had our very first visit reach out and say, hey, Dr. R and Tim, can can we get overtime? We Staff want to work so we can get on top of this. And we said, well, heck yeah. (laughs) will support you. And then everybody was like, this is a great idea. And so, I mean, they're coming up with this stuff. They're taking responsibility. They're owning it and making it their own. And from a leadership standpoint, that's exactly what we want. We don't want them to comply with everything that we say. We no, no because a, a leader is not a leader unless there are followers. And <laughs> so that's very important to have that buy-in. And it's it's exciting. It, it really mm-hmm. is exciting because cultural shift can take a long time, but mm-hmm. you have done this in a very short period of time. Your team has really worked hard to hear the staff's needs and feelings as same as the caregiver and the veteran families. So I think that that has been the biggest change that I've been able to see in terms of you're also increasing them, the likelihood of them undergoing treatment options Mm -hmm. because there was some obstinance at times because they didn't feel heard and they didn't really want the care. And you're not seeing that anymore. You're seeing a shift. I'm sure there's still some holdouts because some people sure. just like to be cranky, but <laughs> there is, there is a, a real shift to, okay, I'm not a number. I'm not a piece of paper and I'm not the last four of my social. I'm yeah. actually a real person with some needs and mm-hmm. these are evolving needs too. So I want to emphasize that you all are very open to the fact that this is an evolving program that will continually shift with you and by you and I'm sure that that is in your five-year, 10-year plan too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we try to brief the plan, if you will, for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. so that folks can see it and vision it and picture it, which is why we pick these themes every year, right? right. Folks want to come to work every day and know what is it that they're working towards? What is the ultimate goal? What is the vision for this program? And not only do we want the staff to see, but we want the, the, the caregivers and the veterans to, to see it and feel it in the midst of all of that too. And so that's 
how we, we try to model that the best we can, right? We want mm -hmm. our staff to treat our caregivers and veterans like they're their family. And that's how we, we try to model that and, and treat our staff and treat our program office staff is you're part of the CSP family, all of you. And we embrace that just like you would in the military. I mean, the military is such mm -hmm. a tight community and such a culture. Um, and, and that even though it changes, like we change when we leave the military, it's still all there, right? Mm -hmm. This is just a new family. And, you know, we all have family members we don't like, but we still have to bring them, invite them to Thanksgiving and invite them to Christmas <laughs> and, and have dinner with them. <laughs> um, that, that's very, very true. It's absolutely difficult. Yeah. Well, but everybody, may I ask what the next focus, foci, I guess, is, is where I'm going. What are the next, say, three things that you're focusing on in the short term? If you can share them, if you can't, that's fine as well or talk about the progress that's being made because some big changes happened for the legacy caregivers on October 1st yeah. or prior to that actually. And you have the other cohort. So as you're walking through, if you had to name your next three goals, can you name those? Linda, I'll give you the four. Four? <laughs> I got a four. bonus. Okay. <laughs> so so let me just talk about the, the top three and I'll, then I'll address the legacy uh, cohort as well. But the top three goals for this okay. fiscal year, we call this year the year of the caregiver. This is all about the caregiver. And yes, we're okay. going gonna to do all the same things that we did the previous fiscal year, standardization, consistency, getting to yes when we can, erring on the side of the veteran. That all still rings true today. That never goes away. Okay. But this year, we're going to focus on mental health, getting those clinicians hired and supporting our caregivers. Number two, we're gonna focus on respite, enhanced respite for these caregivers. We have heard from these caregivers, respite's good when you can get it. And by the way, did you know it's different at every facility you go to and it's really hard to navigate? And I thought, God, that is completely unacceptable. It's completely so we're hiring, <laughs> yeah, we're hiring respite. We, we, don't quote me on the name, everybody, but like respite liaisons, if you okay. will, who will be experts or at least guide our facility staff in their facilities respite available options or options available for us. And Tim, correct me if I get anything wrong, but um, so that we have staff that really understand, okay, this caregiver needs respite on this date and they need this many hours or whatever it is and getting folks the respite that they desperately need because it is a very, very underutilized service. So mm -hmm. that's two, respite. The third thing is, is improving the overall caregiver and veteran experience. Like I said, it's part of this cultural shift. And again, our staff do a good job and then sometimes they do a great job. We want to be exceptional. We want to set the pace. And I laugh that I'm gonna tackle all of EHA after this, but we want a cultural <laughs> shift in our program to start with. <laughs> Golly, I, I say a lot yeah, of things. Thank I goodness you're shouldn't. so high energy. I, honestly, <laughs> I know my husband just loves it. I'm sure. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but we, but we want to change everybody's experience so that every opportunity we call it award-winning contacts. That's our fancy name for it. But every opportunity that we have to contact or be in connection with a caregiver or veteran should be an exceptional experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing we're working on. Those are our top three for this year is working on those three things to improve the overall caregiver experience. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about veterans, but I've kind of challenged everybody. Let's say caregiver first. Let's say caregiver and veterans instead of veterans and caregivers because right. we are the caregiver support program. So that's part of that cultural shift too is the wording. Because you said, like you said earlier, words matter. They mean things. 
they absolutely do. So where's number four, the bonus one? The bonus one. So, you know, we have, like the Deputy Secretary announced on March 22nd, we paused all um, legacy reassessments, the mm -hmm. transitional reassessments that we were completing as we knew that a, a good majority of the veterans were not going to meet the today's eligibility criteria. Now, this was before the veteran warriors decision. So like 90% of these veterans were not evaluated under today's SPI. Would they need it? I don't know. We haven't taken a look at that, but mm -hmm. we are stepping back completely and looking at the eligibility criteria as a whole. Um, so we've got, you know, several folks really participating in this and, and taking a look to see, do we have it right? If not, what are the things that we think we need to change? And so we're being very, very mindful about this approach. And that's something that we're focusing on right now so that we know the direction we need to go. And, um, you know, we hope to have some more information out to folks here in the next, I say, several months, because as we said, any changes can take a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're trying to make all these other improvements in the interim. Tim, did you want to add to that? You know, there's so many, so many different things that make up like part three of, of what Dr. Richardson mentioned. And I think just the one other thing, because we just recently rolled this out, is um, is once again, those those decision letters that we're sending out now, <laughs> we want to continue to build upon those because we heard that from caregivers and we heard it from staff. Like there's just not always um, clear information given to the veterans and caregivers mm -hmm. of, of why or why not they didn't get into the program. And I mean, how can people trust you if you're not transparent? And mm -hmm. so that is one of the, the key things that that Dr. Ars really pushed um, and, and that, you know, myself, too, that we're just really getting behind. We want to be a transparent organization um, and a transparent program. So that's one way that we're doing that. Um, we're going to continue to look at refining the assessment process as the year goes on. We did that a little bit last year, but we want to build on that and just make that experience as, as caregivers and, and veterans move into, into this program and um, you know, experience the program to just be a very, very smooth and, and open, transparent process. So um, once again, that's that's not anything different from what Dr. R just mentioned, but just to build upon that section three. Well, I think it's very important. The eligibility being clear means that it's easy to explain. Advocacy groups can help understand, help someone understand if they've been denied and they can go into other things. I know that there has been a lot of questions and we don't have the time, uh, unfortunately, to go into uh, appeals and review of earlier uh, discharges and things. But I know that you are meeting and talking about how to manage all of those who need your care. And so that in and of itself is a message that I, I think you'd want to get out today. Am I talking in a different area than you want to be? Because I think that there are a lot of hanging uh, questions and we can find answers for them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but if you're taking a look at the appeals process or clarification of the eligibility requirements, that will take care of itself in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we are, I think uh, folks know that, maybe not, I mean, maybe this would be the first time they hear that, but hear this, but if they've otherwise disagreed with a decision that they've received in, in the Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers, mm -hmm. they now have expanded review and appeal options. And I think right. 
you know, through through the AMA process, through appeals to the Board of Veterans Appeals. I mean, we are getting uh, thousands and thousands of applications of folks who disagree with the decision. And this is really their opportunity if they've received a decision that they've disagreed with to, to appeal that decision. And, um, you know, I think this is a this has been an interesting 20 months. I mean, I think this happened two months after I came on board and we were mailing out 450,000 letters to <laughs> notify <laughs> caregivers and veterans of their uh, uh, expanded appeal rights. And so that has been a, on top of all the other things, um, we didn't even have a team that could do that. <laughs> um, but on top of the other things, you know, that's something that we've also added to the program office. And that's been a good thing. I think that's mm -hmm. been a good thing for our caregivers and veterans as well. I think so, too. And you have specific pages on the caregiver.va.gov website yes. that say all these things. Suddenly there are infographics and yes. processes. And I think that is so helpful to people because it makes it understandable without being uh, what's the word when lawyers use a boilerplate? When it's yeah. not boilerplate, it makes it uh, clear language. And, and since we have videos coming out too. Uh, we, there you we go. We do videos to walk people through 10305s and all, all these new form numbers that I now know that I dream and sleep about every night. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. We're grateful Our... for it, but sorry about that. I want to give you the time. Now, I've mentioned the URL for people to go to for more information, which is caregiver.va.gov. But I want to give you an opportunity to pass on any other overall message that we maybe did not share or get to in this conversation so that you really can get across directly to those who you serve where you're going. Yeah, thanks, Linda. No, and I appreciate that. Like I mentioned in the very beginning, Tim and I are both veterans. We've both served. Mm -hmm. um, my husband is also a veteran. And this, this is... This is all I have spent my entire career doing is taking care of either active duty Marines um, and sailors or taking care of veterans. And now I have the honor to take care of these caregivers while they in turn take care of veterans. And I think it's important to know who we are mm -hmm. and what we stand for and what we're trying so hard to make happen for this program. And it is a giant ship that we are trying to turn and we're definitely seeing that change occur. And I just appreciate the opportunity to, to hear from these caregivers um, as we work through and try to iron out all the things that come along with this program and I just appreciate what they do each and every day. It is a thankless and tireless job. I have no doubt about that for mm -hmm. a second. Um, and it's just a, it's an honor to, to be able to lead this program and make the changes that are so desperately needed for our caregivers. Absolutely. Tim, would you like to add anything? You have 30 seconds. I'll be quick. So Linda, when we spoke one time, you mentioned a quote, I think of yours that talked about either everybody is at some point a caregiver or or being served by a caregiver at some mm -hmm. point in their life and that just resonates so true to me this is a this is a such an important mission that we have here um, and it's just been great getting the support of the caregiver community as they tell us what they need and what they want to improve this program so we'll continue to listen to this we'll continue to move this program forward um, and we'll do it in partnership with um, with everybody that's in, that's uh, impacted by this program so we, we really appreciate that. Dr. Richardson, Mr. Jobin, and Colleen and Tim, 
I am so <laughs> grateful for the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much. I know that this will be very well received by those who see things, but don't get to hear your voices and know the energy that goes behind this program. So thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, your time, your energy, and your relentless work ethic. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Linda. Really appreciate it. A pleasure. Linda, thank, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Of course. Thank you. Make it a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.